It was three years ago this Sunday, the first time we ever held a service in here. It was exactly three years ago. It was a practice service, and we only had about 50 people in here. It was actually the very first time I ever preached on a Sunday, and so, you know, still trying to figure that one out, and, um, <laughs> and it was great, man, and God has done so much in this place ever since. 63 people have given their lives to Jesus in this room, in here, right here. I mean, just dozens of others have gotten on a journey to find freedom and discover their purpose. And man, I mean, God has just moved in this place in so many ways. And it's, I mean, I was, I was driving around last night and just kind of mourning this season of, of our church going behind us. And I, I just got excited because it made me think about the tabernacle of God in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a temporary facility that housed the presence of God. And you see, the, the presence of God was never the building, it was never the, the tent, it was never the curtains that they put up. It was, the, it was the thing that was inside of the tent that carried the presence of God. And I believe the same is true for our church. You see, the church isn't a building, the church is a people. And as we go forward to T.C. Robertson, the presence of God goes with us. And so I'm so excited about what's going to happen there and what God's going to do next. I believe we'll see more and more and more people come into a relationship with Jesus and more people learn to, to find freedom and all of it. And so I'm just so excited about this next season. So next Sunday, so you know, is, is officially our Christmas services here at the Gathering Church. It'll be at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. right there at T.C. Robertson. And uh, we're not going to have services on Monday. And then we're also not having services on December 30th. That'll, that'll, we have that off because it's New Year's weekend. And then finally, we'll start January 6th will be when we start meeting at T.C. Robertson every week for the foreseeable future. And so we're looking forward to all of that. We hope to see you there next Sunday. It's, listen, we're not just moving buildings. We got all kinds of great stuff planned. It's going to be an amazing service and a huge celebration uh, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus and everything Christmas means to us. And so I hope you, you, you make plans to be there. If you've got plans to travel out of town to go see family, I encourage you to cancel them and tell your family something came up. You can't go and and, uh, and so we'll see you there. There's an invite card on your program when you sat down this morning. Take that invite card and bring somebody with you to church next week. I'd encourage you, go find a family member, friend, co-worker, somebody, invite them. Go, go buy somebody's coffee in the line behind you at the coffee shop and give them the invite card. Invite them out to church next Sunday as we celebrate Christmas together. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a big celebration I mean, I cannot wait. It's, I'm, I'm stoked. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in this next chapter of our lives as a church. Well, today is uh, week two of our series, Gather at Christmas. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, when was week one? Well, it was last Sunday, but we canceled services because of all the snow. I still came and preached. Just nobody was here, and it was pretty good, actually. I enjoyed it. The message, and so uh, I, last week, I hope you guys survived the snowmageddon all right. You know, I was—I know a lot of people were without power. I hope you stayed warm. I'm—I'm I'm certain that we'll have a whole lot of babies in the nursery next August because of all these power outages and snowstorms. I'm—I'm I'm just saying. I mean, we'll see. I don't know. We'll find out. It's just kind of how it usually goes. <laughs> 
But in this series, we're talking about Christmas, and we're taking a look really, instead of just kind of studying the Christmas story, which is something we normally do, what I, what I wanted to do this year was, was look at our lives, take a snapshot of our lives at Christmas time, and talk about some of the things that we really have to deal with and struggle through and face at Christmas, and, and see what it would look like for us to find freedom from those things this holiday season. You see, I love Christmas. Christmas is one of my favorite times of year. I used to put my tree up in October, okay, but now that I have kids who undecorate my tree constantly, I want it up for as little time as possible, but the Christmas spirit is still there. I love all the traditions at Christmas. I mean, I've got, I've got a tradition for my traditions at Christmas. I like to do the same things as often as I can. I love Christmas movies. My favorite Christmas movies are The Muppet Christmas Carol, Ernest Saves Christmas. Come on, Ernest Saves Christmas, somebody. It's a classic. It's a good one. I love It's a Wonderful Life, you know, and, and just all the, all, the good, all the good Christmas movies. But my very favorite of all time is obviously Die Hard. <laughs> Die Hard is my favorite. This nothing speaks the Christmas spirit like John McClane taking out a group of terrorists. I mean, every time I see it, I tear up a little bit, you know. Hans Gruber falls from the roof at the end. I think that's what Christmas is all about. So, but but my feelings at Christmas time, the joy, the peace, all of all the things that I feel at Christmas time, what I've come to learn is that these feelings are not universal. Not everybody has all this joy and peace and hope associated with the Christmas season. In fact, many of us we like to think that we do, and we try to. But in reality, there's something else going on inside. We, we have stress and strain in our financial lives around the holiday seasons. That's what last week's message was about. and It'll be up online in a couple weeks. So you can go check that out. But it, for many of us, we get ourselves in a mess financially because we're thinking about gifts and money in all the wrong ways. And we need to set that right. For many of us, Christmas time is a time to remind us of all of the relationships that have been broken throughout our lives, the people that have hurt us that we intentionally don't see around the holidays or that we are avoiding around the holidays, or even worse, the people who we have to see but we really don't want to in the holidays. A lot of us get this, this urge that we should be celebrating through the Christmas season, but we just have a hard time trying to figure out exactly how to celebrate. And so what I want to talk about today is those relationships. You see, above all else, the Christmas season is a reminder of the world's greatest story of reconciliation. And so I want to talk this morning for a few moments about what it might look like if this season was the beginning of our greatest story of reconciliation. Now, this is not going to be an easy message if somebody's already come to mind for you. See, for many of us, this might just hit a little bit too close to home. One of our, our real desires at the gathering is to walk with you to really find freedom. It's not just lip service. We don't just say it. We, we have been, I have sat in rooms with people who have had decades of chains fall off of them as we take a journey together to live in freedom the way Jesus died to give it to us. But a journey to freedom also includes finding freedom from things that we don't necessarily want freedom from. 
or things that we don't know we need freedom from yet. Maybe a, a name has already entered your head. Maybe it's somebody, maybe it's a parent who hurt you, but you still have to see them every year, which leads to an inevitable moment of tension. Maybe it's a sibling that you just have never been able to see eye to eye with. Maybe it's an old friend who you don't talk to anymore. Maybe it's an ex-spouse who broke your trust and now there's animosity around Christmas as you split up whose turn it is to have the kids. If a name's coming to mind, I, I want to just say this right now. I know that this is going to be an uncomfortable thing to talk about, but our goal for you is to find freedom, real freedom, the kind of freedom that Jesus came to give us, that was his mission to give us. And sometimes that means letting go of bitterness that we want to keep. I want to tell you a story this morning. It's one of my favorite, favorite stories in the whole Bible. It's my favorite version of the Christmas story outside of Luke chapter 2. See, there, the, there's a man who lived 750 years before Jesus that I think perfectly illustrates the significance of the Christmas story as it relates to reconciliation. His name was Hosea, and Hosea was a prophet, and he was a prophet around the same time that Isaiah was a prophet, and a prophet's job was to carry the message of God to the people of God. See, most of the prophets had, had a theme in the things that they would speak on, in the message that they would bring, and they had all these themes that they were communicating to the people, and Hosea's theme was a message of love. God's love. Love unlike anything we could understand. And so let's take a look at Hosea. In the beginning of his ministry, Hosea is about to get his word from the Lord. He's about to get his mission from God, what his theme would be, what God would call him to do. And he probably, Hosea is getting excited about this because he knows that Isaiah, when he was called to be the prophet to God, when he kind of got his first message, he got to be the first person to actually see the throne room of God. And I bet Hosea was excited. I bet he, God starts to speak to him and he says, God, what do you have for me? What's, what's my assignment? What's my job? Are you going to, do I get to see your throne room also? God's like, well, not exactly, Hosea. In fact, Hosea, what I want is for you to be an object lesson. I'm going to use you to teach something to my people that is very hard for them to understand. Let's look at the story in Hosea chapter 1. Verse 2, it says, Hosea, go and marry a prostitute and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of the faithfulness of the Lord. Can you imagine Hosea's response to this? God, are you sure? Are you, are you serious right now? This isn't what a holy man should do. This isn't, this isn't the life I expected to live. God, I'm, I'm supposed to be above reproach. I'm supposed to be like the spiritual leader of my nation right now. And you want me to go find and marry a prostitute? It doesn't make any sense. But God tells him to do it. And so Hosea does it. He marries a prostitute with the odd-sounding name of Gomer, like Gomer Pyle. Hosea marries Gomer, 
and they have three children together. They have three children whose names each communicate a message to the people of Israel. But they don't live happily ever after. Things don't go the way that Hosea would have wanted them to go. I should mention at this point that at this time, Israel had a very skewed definition of love. If you read the book of Hosea, you'll see it reflected in all of Hosea's messages. The people of the day viewed love as a commodity that could be purchased. They saw love as the pursuit of self-gratification. And finally, they spoke of loving inanimate objects. Their definition of love was very similar to our definition of love. They defined it like this, you can buy it. It's about being satisfied personally, and it's about possessions and things. Not so different from our culture today. And so God used Hosea because he wanted to demonstrate to people what love really is. Through this life of Hosea, through these choices God would ask him to make, he wanted us to just understand, to get a one clear, real picture of the way that God loves us, the nature of his love, the way that he's willing to go, how far he's willing to go to show his love to us. So Hosea is married to Gomer the prostitute, and they have three children. And for a time, it seems like all is well. They've got their kids, they're raising them, they're, they're living together. Hosea is preaching these messages of love to the people of God, and things seem like they're going well, except one day Gomer leaves. You see, the Bible says that she became an adulteress, but through the context, it's pretty clear she had gone back to her former life. Gomer, the mother of the children of Hosea, his wife, left him to go back to being a prostitute. And I don't know why she did it. We don't get that, but maybe it was the pressure. Maybe it was just too much for a former prostitute to be the wife of the spiritual leader of Israel, to be raising these kids, to be responsible for it. Maybe, maybe she just didn't feel like she deserved it. Maybe her, her own view of her self-worth, the value she gave herself was so low that every morning she woke up and it just felt like she couldn't get out of bed. And then one day, she ran. Couldn't take it anymore. So now Hosea is charged with being the spiritual leader of Israel and a single father to three kids. Things are difficult. Let's pick it up in Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3 verse 1 says, The Lord said to me, Go and show your love to your wife again. Although she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now, listen, I don't know what the deal is with the raisin cakes. I didn't, I didn't do an extensive study on the raisin cakes. What I think is, if you are the kind of person who goes home and bakes cakes out of raisins, you need to stop doing this. You're upsetting God. Once we've moved on past that, then we can look at the rest of this verse. Let's just put the raisin cakes behind us. 
The Lord said to me, go and show your love to your wife again, even though she is being unfaithful to you. Here's one of the things that happens when people hurt us. We build this cage in our hearts, this prison cell in our hearts. We build it out of bitterness and we place them inside of it. And we don't try to remove these walls because honestly, they built it, right? They deserve it. They hurt us. They are currently hurting us. They have no signs of remorse. They're not making any moves towards reconciliation. And so they earned their place in our hearts. We will keep them there. And one of the things that we have a hard time understanding is that we deserved a place like that in God's heart. Hosea does not want to go find his wife. She's left him, abandoned their children. She's sleeping with other men for money. He doesn't want to see it. He doesn't want to find it. But God says, Hosea, go love your wife the way I love my people. So he goes. And can you imagine the places he went to find her? The holy man of Israel, walking in the seediest alleyways, in the worst parts of town, describing the mother of his children to people and saying, have you seen my wife? Trying to find her. Her name is Goma. Have you seen her? Until finally, he finds her. And she left out of her own free will, but at some point she got back into the sex trade. Hosea had to buy her back, which means she was in bondage to somebody else. And Hosea sees her, and she's chained up, and she's embarrassed, and she's filled with shame, and she thinks this is the life she deserves. And Hosea goes to the man who owns her and says, that's my wife. That's the mother of my children. Please release her to me. And eventually, after some haggling, he consents to buy her for a price. He learns that this person won't show compassion. This person won't release her. They own her. They feel they have a privilege to her. And so Hosea says, then name the price and I will pay it. Fifteen shekels and some barley. And Hosea takes this money, this this wheat, and he trades it for the mother of his children. And he goes to her. And can you imagine what Gomer must have been feeling in this moment? There was a law back then that if your wife committed adultery, she could be put to death. She knew the law. Maybe she was afraid. Maybe she was certain that this would be how she met her end. Maybe she resigned herself to it, decided. Maybe she always knew it would eventually happen and thought, this is how I deserve to go. This is what I've earned. This is who I am. And she's chained there. And Hosea walks to her, and she won't meet his eyes, won't look at him, just keeps looking away. She's so shameful. She knows the way that she's hurt him. She knows that they have children at home that she she should be raising and just wondering what Hosea is going to do next. But God said, love her as the Lord loves his people. 
You see, God wants us to understand that his love is not like ours. That the way that he pursues us, that he desires us, that he forgives us, is different than a human understanding of love. And against all common sense, in contrast to our human ideas about justice and commitment and what's right and what's wrong, contrary to all of it, God just says, I'm going to offer you my love and I'm going to do it freely. And that's what Hosea was called to do in this moment. So he walked over to her and she must have felt so much shame. And Hosea takes the key and he puts it in the lock and he releases the chains and the chains drop. And he lifts her eyes up and he looks at her. And she looks at him and he says in verse 3, You are to live with me many days. Gomer, I want you to live in my house for the rest of your life. You're coming home with me. Leave this life that you're in. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any other man. And I will behave the same way towards you. Do you know what he's doing? He's renewing his wedding vows. He's looking at this woman who deserves his anger, who who he wants to have justice for, who has all of these reasons they should not be okay. And Hosea says, your chains are gone, you're free, I paid for you. And I'm committing to love you with all that I am forever. I will be faithful to you, I will take care of you, I will provide for you. And she stands up and they go home. It's worth noting that the name Hosea means salvation, and the name Gomer means completion. See, in this relationship, in this exchange, God is proclaiming the birth of Jesus. He's preaching the gospel 750 years before it ever happened. He's saying, your salvation will be completed by me going to find you and bringing you back into my family when you least deserve it. This brings us to Christmas, because in this moment, when we needed it the very most, despite whether or not we deserved it, he would meet us here to complete our salvation. The story of Hosea is one of the clearest Old Testament pictures we get of Jesus in the Bible. He loves us. He cares for us. He comes to meet us in a way that is far beyond our understanding of love. In this story, Hosea is God, and no offense, but you and I, we're we're Gomer the prostitute. And just like Gomer, we can't seem to shake off the former life we've lived, the life that we're ashamed of. Like physical chains, it won't let us walk in the freedom that we've been given. Our sin, our mistakes... Our shortcomings, they haunt us. And we keep running back towards them. But throughout human history, every single time it looked like man was going to settle down and be the responsible wife and mother we had the potential to be, we run right back to a life of prostitution. So God looks at these people that he desires relationship with, that he created, who don't deserve his love and says, okay, fine. What's the price? Whatever it is, I'll pay it. Whatever the price to be restored in relationship with these people, I will pay it even if it costs me my own son. That's the message of Christmas. 
the story of Christmas is not just about a baby lying in a manger. It's not just wise men and shepherds. The story of Christmas is the story of God paying the price to be in relationship with us, to find us in the places we deserved it the least, and to call us back to himself. The story of Christmas is a story of pursuit, love, grace, and reconciliation like the world has never seen before and will never see again. It's the kind of grace that could find his wife as a prostitute and bring her home like it never happened. See, I think too often we lose value of this, we lose sight of the value of Christmas because we forget how much we needed it. I think we forget how little we know about real love. I think we, we forget how much we've turned our backs on the one who made us. How often things like jobs and people and money have taken his position in our hearts, which leads us to brokenness and shame and fear. I think oftentimes we think, well, we're not so bad. It's, you know, it's, we, we haven't ever hurt anyone in the way that that person hurt us. We're not the same. But the reality is that every mistake we've made, every decision we've made that's replaced God in our lives, everything we've done that's moved us further and further away from Him have cost the Father far more than anybody has ever cost us. We forget it. We have this perfect, loving Father, but instead of pursuing Him, we devote our lives to prostitution, and we create gods and money and family, and even in ourselves. And we just don't deserve His pursuit. But He freely gives it anyways. And here in this story, 750 years before Jesus, He's preparing us to receive it, letting us know how much He loves us. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we got it together. Not after we got it straight. Not after we got our lives figured out. No, while we were in the middle of the offense, while we were in the place where we deserved the least amount of grace, God gave us all the grace that he has. It was in that place. In that moment, while we were sinners, that Christ died for us. You need to understand, this is the love of Jesus. This is the love of God. This is how it works. It's not like your love. It's not like my love. It's better. It's complete. It pursues. It forgives. It reconciles. And it brings us home. Just like Gomer, we broke and abandoned our relationship with God. And maybe you can clearly look at the point in your life where that happened. Maybe you grew up in church and at some point you just didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And spent years apart from it and apart from God. Or maybe for you, you grew up in church and you never left. But at some point, God wasn't the sinner anymore and you were. Or maybe you never, you never had a relationship with God. And you can easily look back at all the times in your life when something took his place. When you tried to fill his position in your heart with everything under the sun until you finally realized that he's the only one who can fill it. And it was in those moments and in those places and in those decisions that Jesus came and rescued us. 
found us in the places we deserve to be, paid for us, and brought us home. So let me bring this home for you. What I want for us to see is how far God was willing to go to forgive us, to reconcile us, and to restore relationship with us. That's what the Christmas story is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. Forgiveness, restoration, and reconciliation. That's, that's what our faith is about. Now maybe you have someone in your life who broke relationship with you. Or maybe you broke relationship with them. Maybe there's someone in your life who doesn't deserve your forgiveness. And I think this Christmas season is the time for us to change it. And I know, I know they hurt you. And I know that they left you or that they, they, they traumatized you. I know that, I, I don't know your story. I don't know. I know that in our hearts we have all these reasons that we justify the way we feel when we feel this way about somebody else, that, that we, we, we want to protect these feelings. We don't, we don't want to let it go because if we let our anger go, then they, it's, like, it's like it never happened. They've gotten away with it. And, and we can't let this bitterness out of our heart because if we release them from this cage of bitterness that we placed them in, then it would be like it never happened and somebody needs to pay for it. Except that what happens is when we build this cage of bitterness in our heart and we lock them inside of it, it doesn't affect them at all. It doesn't hurt them at all. It doesn't make them pay for it. The only person who pays for it is us because a piece of our heart that was meant to be occupied by love and goodness and grace and purpose is now occupied by bitterness. I'm not saying we can fix everything. I'm not saying that you and your ex can get back together and live happily ever after. I'm not saying that your abusive father needs to have a prominent place in your life and in the life of your children. I'm not saying that you have to be friends with that person again after they said that thing or they did that thing to you. But there is a way to handle broken relationships and difficult people that is of this world, and there is a way to handle it that is of Jesus. So for the next few minutes, let me just walk you through a step-by-step -step process to handle this in the way of Jesus. And the first thing is this, and the first step is always the hardest, and it's to overlook the offense. I mean to overlook it. To overlook the offense. I know what you're thinking. How do I overlook it? It's easier said than done. You don't know what the offense is. You don't know what they did to me. Proverbs 10:12 says, "Love overlooks the wrongs that others do. Love doesn't make sense. Love isn't fair." Love was never supposed to be fair. We have a real system of fairness in our hearts and in our minds, culturally. Everything's supposed to be fair, but that's not how things work in reality. The love of God is not fair. The way that he pursued us was not fair to him. The things he's forgiven us for, it's not fair. Just like this shouldn't be fair. Overlook the offense. Proverbs 12, 16 says, when a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. But wise people 
ignore the insult. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. Overlook the offense. This is really hard, and here's the secret. Empathy. And I know that these are the last people we want to have empathy for. But here's one thing that I've learned. Hurting people act weird, and hurting people hurt people. And we don't need to excuse their hurt. And we don't need to justify their hurt. And we don't even need to think that their hurt is bigger than our hurt. But if we can begin to understand that the reason they hurt us so much is because of the way that they were hurting, it makes it easier to overlook the offense. If we can begin to understand that the way that they acted, they acted out of their insecurity, out of their pain, out of their being overwhelmed, whatever it is, if we can begin to understand a little bit of how they must operate, it's easier for us to overlook the offense. Empathy. Odds are there is a brokenness inside of them that they are projecting onto you. Once we overlook the offense, the second thing that we can do is pray for them. Pray for them. And I, I, it's really hard to pray for somebody that you hate. In fact, I would say it's actually, it may be easy to pray for somebody that you hate if you're praying prayers like, God, may the flies of a thousand camels find their armpits, Lord. May they all just find their armpits. God, I pray bees on them. Bees, angry bees, Lord. Not honeybees, yellow jackets, God. I pray yellow jackets everywhere they go. Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray hemorrhoids on them, Father. God, just let them get them everywhere. Just every time they sit down, may they be reminded. <laughs> That's terrible. That's not what I mean. Don't pray like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> destroy their teeth, Lord. Let them, and, and th that's not what I mean. I mean, pray a blessing over them. Pray favor over them. I mean, pray for them like you pray for the people you love. I mean, say, God, I pray freedom over their lives. Lord, I ask that you would put somebody in their life who would walk them to freedom so they could be released from the hurt that they feel. God, I pray favor over their life, Lord. Put your hand of blessing upon their house that, God, they might prosper and increase. I pray a blessing over them. And this is so hard to do. And I want you to know that it's not for them, that it's for you. Because when you pray for them, something happens. It begins to soften your heart for them. There's a verse in Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 44, where Jesus says, You've heard that it's said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And we, think, we know this part of the verse. And we think, yeah, I can do that. You know, I love them. I love them. I, lo I love that guy. You know, I would like to punch him in the nose. But I love you, brother. You know, I love my enemies. I do it well. I love him by not putting landmines in his front yard. You know, I'm just loving my enemies well. But it doesn't stop there. It says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, pray for them. And I think he knew that it's not for them, it's for you. Something softens in your heart as you pray for them. First two steps are easier than the third. In fact, I'll tell you, I'm kind of an optimist naturally, and as an optimistic person, I just naturally always believe the best in everyone around me to a fault, 
And so I just don't naturally get a lot of grudges or people that I, I have, you know, a, a tension with. But there's been a couple in my life. And if you get to that place in my heart, you worked hard to get there. And I'll tell you that I am working through this process. That I'm working through this process and that there's two people that I'm on step three with. And I, and I want to get to the next step. But I've got to really work to get through step three. Step three is forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. And I mean really forgive them, not like through clenched teeth, I forgive you. No. I mean to release the responsibility that you place on them to earn your forgiveness. That's what it means. To release them of the responsibility to ever make it right. That's what real forgiveness is. It's not easy. And Gomer didn't deserve forgiveness. And if you look at this story, you'll see Gomer does nothing to earn forgiveness. She does nothing to ask for it. She does nothing to move towards it. She doesn't, she doesn't work hard to get to that place. She doesn't prove that she can be the wife he believes she can be. No, Hosea goes in and he forgives her step one. He removes from her the responsibility to earn his forgiveness. See, we like justice. And we believe that we need to see justice before there can be forgiveness. They need to pay for what they've done. They need to take ownership for what they've done. But that's not how the love of God works. See, the love of God goes to a cross before we ever say we're sorry. And that's the way we're called to love others. Forgive them. And Jesus is on the cross and the men who nailed him there are at his feet hurling insults and gambling for his possessions. And Jesus' words are this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We're called to forgive and to love the way Jesus forgave and loves. Colossians 3.13 says, You must make allowance for each other's faults. Do you allow other people to have faults the way you want them to make allowance for yours? Sidebar, in your marriage, do you make allowance for your spouse's faults or do you just get mad when they point out yours? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I think a lot of us that have been around church or in a church, we know the Bible says things like this, but they're easy to kind of brush past. Because we don't want to access this place, this bitterness that we hold. We don't want to go there. and We don't stop to think that what this really means is that we're called to offer people the free forgiveness that was offered us. To remove the responsibility that they have to earn our forgiveness. Because honestly, they probably never will. And you are only hurting yourself by waiting for them to. See, God did not wait for us to earn our forgiveness because he knew that we never could. And so he's calling us to do the same for others. We need to forgive them. Let's take the responsibility off of them this Christmas. After we've been able to do that, the next step is to bless them. Bless them. By bless in this context, I mean to speak well of them. 
To speak, a lot of times we see blessed in the New Testament. That's what it means. It means to speak well of. To speak well of them. And this is hard at Christmas. We just did a series about watching your mouth. Maybe you need to go back and give it a re-listen. Because at Christmas time, we'll get together and we'll, we'll be with friends or we'll be with family and maybe that person's not there. And the conversation always comes up as to all the reasons they're not invited to Christmas this year. Or maybe they are there. And you get in the kitchen with a couple of other, with a couple siblings or, or with somebody or with a couple friends and the conversation turns into why exactly they should not be there. But they are anyways. It's just easy to not to put curses and to put, put remind, be reminded of all the ways they've hurt us over the years and have these conversations when we get together with other people. But God has called us to live a different way. He's called us to bless those who curse us. It says in Luke 6, 27, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And in 1 Peter 3, 9, it says, Don't do wrong to repay a wrong. Do not insult to repay an insult, but repay with a blessing, because you yourselves were called to do this so that you might receive a blessing. This is so hard to do. Just to speak well of the people that we, we, we just don't want to. You know, there's a big difference between respect and honor. There's a big difference between respect and honor. See, respect is earned. And they may never earn your respect again. But honor is something that we give freely. Because it was given to us. The Bible says that God's placed us in a position of honor. It's not anything we could ever earn, could ever earn. But he gave it to us anyways. Just like we're called to honor others. Had somebody had that conversation, have had it a million times. How do I honor my father and my mother like the Bible says when my father and my mother were abusive, were, were alcoholics, were not there, hurt me in so many ways, hurt me in physical ways, emotional ways. How do I honor them? And I always answer the same way. In the same way that God has honored you even when you did not deserve it. We speak well of them. We speak blessings over them. We believe the best in them. We pray for freedom in their hearts from the brokenness that's led them to create brokenness in others. Hosea's life isn't just a story. It was a man's life. His children weren't just lessons, they were kids. Gomer wasn't just, just an object lesson. She was a woman who was deeply broken and hurting, whose life was defined by a few of her worst moments. Hosea goes to her, and he's not perfect. He's not Jesus. He's like me and you. But God's told him to do this thing because he needs people to understand the way that he loves them in a way that they, God has never demonstrated his love in such a unique way before, such a physical way before. It wouldn't be until a few hundred years later when a baby was born in Bethlehem that God would create such a clear picture of his love. And Hosea, in the moment that he's speaking to her for the first time, he must have, he must have had to really pray before he went in there to say, God, I am committed to be your prophet. I'm going to do what you call me to do. God, I know you forgive me daily. 
and I'm going to do this thing, but it's not easy, and I don't want to do it, and I want to keep her locked up in my bitterness, and I want to keep her in prison in my heart, God, but I'm going to release her, and I'm going to love her, and I'm going to forgive her, and if she doesn't want to talk about it ever again, that's fine. I will bless her, and I will speak good of her, and I will do good things for her every day because that's what you've done for me. The last thing is to do good to them. Do good to them. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head of shame. Don't do it for the coals. Do it because it's what God did for you. When he's thirsty, give him something to drink. When he's hungry, feed him. Show up. Be Jesus to these people. And I want you to know that I know that this right here is impossible to do unless you've been on the receiving end of it. See, if you've been on the receiving end of this kind of forgiveness, how can we not forgive? If we've been on the receiving end of this kind of grace, how can we not offer it to others? What position am I in not to forgive them the way I've been forgiven? Because here's the thing. I know where I was when God found me. I know the shame I carried. I know where I deserve to be. I know the pain and the brokenness that was inside of me. I know that in the moment that I met Jesus was the moment I deserved him the least, but he gave me the most amount of grace. And so I'm going to give that kind of grace to every person I encounter for the rest of my life. And it's not easy. And it's going to take work. And it's going to be hard. And I'm working in it right now. But I'm going to work for it. And I'm going to move to it because of what he's done in my life and because of what he's done for me because here's what I know the forgiven forgive those who've been forgiven forgive in return Matthew 10:8 says freely you have received now freely give so God said to Hosea go and show your love to your wife again though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress love her as the Lord loves his people even though they turn to other gods Do good to them, even though they don't deserve it, even though they turn your back on you. Keep forgiving them. Keep blessing them. Keep praying for them and do good for them. And and Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says you need to find freedom from that bitterness. you got to dig it out. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ. God forgave you. God's forgiven us, we forgive others. God's forgiven us, we keep forgiving others. You may need to find freedom from this. That's what the church is here for. That's what we're, we're we want to come alongside you in this process. That's what community should do. See, we don't, we don't do fake at the gathering church. We get real, we get vulnerable, and we say, hey, I'm trying to work through this. I need help, I need people, I need prayers, I need people to show me. How do I do these things? And let's release the bitterness in our hearts this Christmas. Christmas is the beginning of the most amazing story of reconciliation the world has ever seen or will ever see again.
Why don't we let this Christmas be the story, the beginning of the most amazing story of reconciliation in our life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done for me, God. I thank you that even though I deserved it the least, Father, you gave us your best. That, Father, even though we deserved your wrath, God, we deserved justice, we deserved punishment. Instead, you gave us goodness and grace and hope and peace and forgiveness and purpose and the opportunity to serve you and serve each other, God, and live in satisfaction in this life and be with you in the next. God, we thank you for your grace this Christmas. Now help us to show your grace to somebody else. God, soften the places in our hearts where we keep this bitterness. Help us to take the first step, Lord, to overlook this offense, Lord. It's not easy to do, God. We need you. We need your spirit to move in us. God, I pray over every person in this room today who is in need of reconciliation. Every person in this room today, Father, who is harboring bitterness. God, in Jesus' name, we just declare that it be released. That freedom would just be in this place, Lord. You came to set the captives free. We're in chains to our bitterness, God. Break our chains. You have the key, Lord. Unlock them and let them fall. That we might release these people. That we might release them from the bitterness we hold in our hearts. Overlook the offense. Forgive them. Bless them. Pray for them. Do good to them just the way you've done for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.